I'm, I'm sure you've heard the phrase before, asking for a friend, right? Usually it's pertaining to questions that maybe we're a little bit embarrassed to ask for ourselves, but yet we actually are asking for ourselves, but we pretend like we're asking for a friend. So what I did was I looked up online just some um, asking for a friend questions, and there was a lot that were on there that I was just like, I can't share those in church. But then there was a lot that I found that were actually pretty fun. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a handful of these real quick and see if any of these pertain to you and your life. So the, the first one is this. At what age should I stop putting my mom down as an emergency contact? Asking for a friend, right? Uh, Is there a support group for people who wake up on time but then lay in bed until it makes them late? Asking for a friend, right? Is it normal to be drinking or be thinking about wine this early on a Monday? Asking for a friend, right? Um, Maybe if you're a parent, this one pertains to you. If the kids left the room 30 minutes ago and you're alone in front of the TV, but yet the kiddie show is still playing and you're singing along under your breath, how far gone are you? Asking for a friend, right? Uh, this one's a good one here. Uh, is there a way to lose 10 pounds in a week without diet or exercise? Asking for a friend. Even more importantly, is there a way to lose 10 pounds in a week without giving up Mexican food? Asking for a friend. Uh, is there, uh, what's the medical condition for needing to eat 30,000 calories right before bed? Asking for a friend. I don't know if any of you struggle with that. I don't, definitely don't get snacky at the, in, you know, at late at night. Um, here's one maybe for PB. Anyone know any tattoo removal experts? Asking for a friend. And the final one here is, anyone know a good job for someone who hates people? asking for a friend, right? So today, again, we begin this series, Asking for a Friend. And, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some, some questions, uh, much more serious than the questions that I just read. You saw them on the screen in, in the video. Um, they, they're going to focus on life. They're going to focus on, on our life with God and our relationships with others and our relationships with Jesus. And, and I know for me, as I think about some of the questions that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, even the one that we're going to be looking at today, which I'll get to in a minute, Sometimes it's those questions, you're like, man, as a Christ follower, I should probably know the answer to that, but I don't. There's no shame in that. There's no embarrassment. And if you're new to the faith or if you're just, you know, kind of exploring this for the first time and you're kind of like, oh, man, I'm I'm embarrassed to ask these questions. That's kind of what we're going to be addressing over the next few weeks. Um, and, and, and again, it's just going to be something that we do together. And it's, there's no shame. We're just going to ask the question and gonna throw it out there. So today, uh, the question that we are going to, to start off with is, is this, as I undo my battery there, there we go, um, is this, what does God really care about? Like, we should probably all know the answer to that, but yet that's actually a really tough question to answer. So when it comes to God's heart, what's at the core of God's heart? If we believe that God is a good God, is it, is it enough maybe just to be good, right? Maybe the answer to that question that pops in our head, well, I just got to be a good person. I know a lot of times when people ask like that sort of a question, well, okay, God just cares about me being good. God just cares about me being a good person and living my life in a good way, and, and that's what matters to God most. Last week, we, we celebrated Easter. And when we think about what Easter means, we contemplate all that Easter is about we understand that, that we are all sinners and that sin is something that separates us from God. And so in order to be a part of everything that God has for our lives, both here on this earth and then life eternal, we need to understand that God's plan, God's plan for humanity's salvation or freedom from sin directly passes through Jesus, his death on the cross and his resurrection. So then is being good good enough? Is being good good enough? 
Can we even be good enough to get into heaven? Can we even be good enough to be called a child of God? See, the beauty of Christianity or the Christian life here, or the following Jesus, is that good isn't the standard. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful that good isn't the standard. I believe if you asked 10 different people the definition, their definition of good, you probably would get 10 different definitions. The passage, we're, the passage we're going to be focusing on today, which is 1 Samuel uh, 16, if you want to just get ahead and, and open up your Bibles or scroll through your, you know, your U version or whatever, go to 1 Samuel 16. We'll get there in a moment. Um, it's going to help provide an answer to that question. What does God really care about? We're going to be looking at, over the next few weeks, these questions, but also the life of David right? David was a shepherd in the Bible. David was a king of Israel and, and many things in between. So we're going to be looking and studying the, the, the King David and David in, in the book of Samuel. And, and, uh, but we find a really good description of David in, in the book of Acts, actually, which is all the way in the New Testament. It's kind of, in, um, you know, the writer of Acts is, is going back and saying, this is who David was. And so just want to start off, just, this is who David was, just for our, for our beginning here. It says, I have found David, son of Jesse, they catch this, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Now, I want to give you some context with regards to David. The time period we're going to be spending today in is, is about 1025 B.C. So David is about 15 years old. He's about middle school, young high school age, right? The nation of Israel has been ruled by these, these leaders called judges, right? Um, the way God set up the nation of Israel before they had any kings was that he was supposed to be the king, right? They were, Israel was supposed to look as, at, at God as their king. And so he didn't want to put an earthly human being as a king. So he appointed these judges to kind of rule over the nation. And so some of the judges maybe you've heard of, Samson, remember strong Samson with the hair and doing the thing and, the, and then getting it cut, and Delilah, you maybe you've heard that story, or Ruth. Uh, today, Samuel, we're going to talk about Samuel. He was one of the, the final, the last judges for um, the, the nation of Israel. And, and so the nation of Israel has been ruled for about 250 years by these judges. And then ultimately, Israel is looking around at all the other nations and going, they have a king. Why can't we have a king? And so they're asking God, they're asking Samuel, they're going, hey, we want a king instead of, instead of these judges. And so God, and it's kind of funny because, you know, again, God is saying, I'm, I'm your king. I'm the only king you need. I am good enough for you. But the people are asking. The people are asking. And so you, you kind of get this feeling that God's going, okay, I'm going to give you a king. Let's see how this works out for you. You know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. Not like in a snotty way or anything like that. I mean, that's uh, maybe painting a bad picture of God. But, but you just kind of get this feeling that God's going, all right, you keep asking. I'm going to give it to you. And then I'm going to be here to clean up the mess, maybe, because that's exactly what happens. So um, what they do, what Samuel does is he appoints a guy named Saul as king. And so Saul became king about 1050 BC. However, Saul, he had obedience issues. He had rebellion issues. He had submission issues. He, he had pride issues. There were times during Saul's reign that, that he directly disobeyed God, that he went directly against. Like God would say, do this. And Saul's like, peace, I'm going this way. You know what I mean? Like that's what Saul kind of was all about. It didn't start that way for Saul. Saul's reign actually started pretty, pretty good. He, he actually did a good job at first, but then his pride got in the way. If you actually want to read some of that story, we don't have time to get into it today, but, but 1 Samuel like 13 through 15 kind of gives a good description of kind of the, the downfall of Saul. 
And, you know, the opening text that we read today, uh, I'm sorry, at the opening of the text we're going to read here in a, in a moment, you know, Saul is the king of Israel, and we find that, that, that God is actually grieved that he made Saul the king over Israel, and that God has rejected Saul as king. Now, it's important to say as king, God has not rejected Saul the person. God won't ever reject you, no matter where you, what you do, no matter where you go, no matter the, you know, any of the horrible stuff that we all have in our life. God's not going to reject you, but maybe the position that you're in. And so God has rejected Saul as king. And so we're introduced again for the first time to this young man named David. So go ahead, if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. 1 Samuel uh, 16, 1 through 13. Read along. I might summarize a little bit in the middle there. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn and be on your way. I am I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Now, I just want to pause for a moment here. This is the kind of, we get a little brief glimpse into Saul's character. Saul's ruling with an iron fist at this point. He's not listening to God. So Samuel asks the question of the Lord. He says, okay, but if Saul hears this, he's going to kill me. That's not the type of king that you want. If, if a king is truly serving God, is truly serving the Lord, this, again, is a little brief, a little peek into Saul's life there. Saul will kill me. Um, and then the Lord said, continuing in verse 2, Take a heifer or a cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Now this is kind of funny, kind of interesting. When a prophet of the Lord came to your town, in the Old Testament especially, it wasn't always good news right? And so these guys, the elders are all, uh, you know, what's happening? Also, because he's coming from Saul's kingdom, like what is this guy going to do on the, in the name of Saul versus in the name of God, right? And Samuel says, of course, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice uh, to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves, that just means prepare yourselves, and come uh, to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw uh, Eliab, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. Verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then in verse 8 and verse 9, uh, Sam, or Jesse calls more of his sons in front of, in front of Samuel, and, and one by one, Samuel goes, Nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. And then seven more sons. Nope, not those one. Not those, not those, not those. None of those are going to work. Um, and so then he gets to the end and, and, and of this little process with Jesse's sons. And, and in verse 11, he says, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? This is it? The Lord sent me here. What's going on? And then Jesse answers, there is still the youngest. He is tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and, anoint this one, or, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Did anyone see that one coming? I don't know about you, but when I read that story and I think, okay, man, Jesse's got all these options as sons, but yet the Lord picks the 15-year-old. The Lord picks the smelly middle school, high school kid that's been hanging out with the sheep, right? Like, what gives with that, right? I didn't, I, you know, again, when I read that story, it's like, oh, man, I don't see that coming. But here's the thing. We need to make sure that we are paying attention 
to who God chooses and who God uses. See, in this passage that we just read, and as well as the passage in Acts that we read earlier, we learned, we learned that what God is looking for in a king, what God is looking for in a leader, is someone to follow after his heart. Follow after God's own heart. Not really a good person, or the most handsome, or the prettiest, or the most courageous. No, see, Saul, he had the appearance of one qualified to be king. Look at this passage in, in, earlier in Samuel. There was a Benjamite, a Benjaminite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, who had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. See, Saul was tall, dark, and handsome, apparently. It sounds like he had all the, the physical characteristics of what you would think you, know, you would want in a king, but yet Saul was lacking something. He was lacking a heart that longed after what God wanted. He was lacking a heart that wanted to, to follow after God, no matter what it meant. Instead, he put his own ideas in front of God's ideas. He put his own pride in front of God's uh, ideas. See, God ultimately then rejects Saul as king. See, God often selects what people overlook and, and undervalue. God looks at things differently than people do typically. See, we as people, we a lot of times we measure with a stick, Right? We measure what's on the surface, but God, he measures with the scale. He measures what's inside, the substance, the weight. He measures with a scale. See, and, and looking at the life of David, for the most part, we can see what matters to God. David is described as a man after God's own heart, yet I want to be clear, David was, was a sinner. David had things in his life, man, that weren't pretty. You read the story of David's life, he screwed up a lot. But yet, time after time, David is described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Just something to think about. Continuing our passage here, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So essentially what, what the Lord is telling Samuel here is, is, is fill your horn, Samuel. We are starting over with this king search thing, right? Saul has not worked out. We're going to move past Saul and into the future, right? Samuel, don't worry about it. We're going to move past your past and into the future. I want to start something new in you, Samuel. I want to start something new in the nation of Israel. I want to start something new in this 15-year-old boy named David. And, and that's just kind of an encouragement to you today, too. No matter what your past looks like, God wants to start something new in you. And you might be like firing on all cylinders right now when it comes to your walk. You might be really just, just, just you know, blowing it out of the water with, with, man, I am just so connected with God, and that's cool, and that's great, but there's still more that God can do in your life. God wants to start something new in you. And, and God was going to do that in the life of Samuel, in the life of the Israelites, and in the life of David. So even in that, you know, Samuel, as you look at the passage, is looking at the outward appearance, even in Jesse's son's. And he's trying to make the decision. Surely this is who the Lord's going to pick. And he made the same mistake again with Saul. And God for sure didn't want that to happen again. So we need to very um, carefully evaluate what influences our decisions. Samuel maybe, again, looked at the outward appearance, saw Saul, saw that he was handsome, saw that he was a head taller, and said, surely this is the guy. But he didn't look at Saul's character. He didn't look at Saul's heart. I know for me personally, God will send people into my life to speak God's purposes into my life. I have some people like that in my life currently. My, my wife is one of those people. She definitely will speak God's truth into my life. I have my, a couple accountability partners, guys that I've known since actually we were like 
three and four years old, uh, and we've grown up together, and my buddies Dave and Ryan, those are my accountability partners, and I know that when those people speak into my life, I need to listen, because they're going to speak truth, they're going to speak wisdom, they're going to speak discernment, they're going to speak love into my life, even if it's tough love at times, and believe me, we've had those conversations When I'm facing important decisions in my life, my accountability partners, my two buddies, Dave and Ryan, those are the guys that I go to. Those are the guys that I call when I need something because I know that they're following God. I know that they're actively listening to God. And I know that they're praying for me on behalf of God, which is so special and so incredible. And they've helped me make some of the most important decisions in my life. When I was getting married, when I was, you know, telling them about Mary and I was thinking to myself, gosh, I I think I want to marry this girl. I'm falling in love with her. And, you know, and they kind of helped me work through that process. Tony, you've only known her for eight months. And it's like, it doesn't matter. I'm in love with her. And this is something, I know she's the one. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, she's the one. 17 years later, we've still, we're still married. It's one of those things. They helped me make that decision. Uh, switching jobs. I've switched jobs multiple times, buying a home in times of struggle, in times of of good times. You know, my one buddy's lost some parents, and it's one of those things. We we go through life together and speak truth into each other, and it's important because they will help me carefully evaluate my decisions, and I trust those guys. See, Samuel, he was a wise guy. He was a wise a prophet, a godly prophet. He had a history of, of listening to God from a, a very early age. But again, the people of Israel, they rejected his authority. We want a king. We don't want this judge anymore. We want a king. And so then a God, makes, God makes it very clear to Samuel, when it comes to choosing a king this time, we chose Saul the first time. That didn't really work out. We are going to do it differently this time. You are, are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. That's God speaking to Samuel. I am going to choose this one for sure. And again, Samuel, he's a godly man. He was dedicated uh, to the Lord at the temple. He grew up under the training of a guy named Elijah, who was a high priest. Um, we look at the beginning of, of, if you want to look at Samuel's life, go to the very beginning of, of 1 Samuel. He listened to God's voice from a very early age and recognized God's voice. He was recognized as a prophet from the Lord. He was one of the judges. And even though it didn't work out all that well, um, he was still the one chosen by God, to anoint the first king of Israel. So, so Samuel was, was a good man, he, he, but he sometimes focused on the outward instead of what was going on in the inward. And that's what happened when it came to choosing Saul. Saul looked the part of the king, but Saul did not have the heart of the one true king. Who we let speaking into our lives? Who are we allowing to to have influence over our lives? Who are the authorities I let speak into my life right now? Again, I mentioned my accountability partners before, but maybe for you, it looks different. You're going, okay, I don't have anybody that speaks, you know, truth and love into my life and godly wisdom into my life. Well, that's, that's why we have life groups. When we talk about life groups, that's an opportunity for you to get involved with, with a group of other people with maybe shared experience and you can come together and you can, you can grow together. You can cry together. You can laugh together. You can learn together. And the hope is that, that you know, they will speak godly truth into your life. Uh, maybe it's a spouse or a loved one or a mentor or a coach. See, the thing is, if you can't see godly fruit overflowing out of the people that you let speak into your life or have influence over your lives, you might want to be careful with how much you allow them to influence your lives. I'm not saying that people who don't have a relationship with God can't give good advice. Don't hear me say that. I'm not saying that at all. 
There's a lot of good advice out there. But what I am saying, when it comes to our walks, when it comes to our life with Christ, when it comes to the direction in which we're, we're moving towards God, gosh, it's so much easier to see that direction and the advice that's coming when we're receiving it from someone that we know is following God and wants to see God manifested more and more in our lives. Pastor Steve is that way for me. Actually, in fact, we, we had a, a time a, a few months ago where we were having this conversation with a, a couple people um, you know, in, a, in a meeting, and it was a really frustrating conversation. And, and I knew going into it, it was going to be a frustrating conversation because we had had this conversation a handful of times with these people. And I was like, gosh, okay, this is going to be so frustrating. And, and, you know, I prayed about it beforehand. We got to the meeting and we sat down and we're just sipping on some coffee and we're having this conversation. And Steve is leading most of it. And, and then we get done with the conversation and the, the people leave and, and Steve like holds me back and he's like, hey, Tony, um, just a little coaching moment for you. I was like, all right, cool. Like, whatever. What do you, you know? What does this mean? And he goes, hey, um, you need to work on your poker face. I was like, what are you talking about? Work on my poker face. He's like, you are wearing your emotions on your sleeve. I could tell that you were irritated about the conversation that was happening. I'm like, no. He's like, Tony, you sat there with your hat on. You had your sunglasses on. You had your arms crossed. And you had this face. Right? And I'm like, I did? And he goes, yeah, so you need to kind of work on your stink face. You need to work on your, your poker face a little bit. Um, and Because and, that's not something as a pastor like I want to be, right? I want to be someone who listens, someone who's, you know, accessible. Um, and when I'm doing this, I'm not accessible, right? And so it was a really good coaching moment for me. And so it's, it's, it's people like that, people like Steve, Pastor Steve, who, who I want to speak into my life that way. And getting back to Samuel, um, you know, again, he kind of gave in to some of the external factors in choosing Saul. So God wanted to make sure that Samuel didn't do that again. You need to avoid the pressure of living up to those external factors. Continuing in our passage, 1 Samuel 16, the first part of verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him as king. See, culture might tell us that external factors are important, whether it's the magazine covers or the, or the tabloids that we see or the, or the bank accounts or the cars that we drive or the neighborhoods that we live in. But I'll tell you this, external factors do not impress God. And I think it's important to not compare my behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel. See, I think we all do this from time to time. We know our own inner junk, right? We know, when, and, then, and then when we see somebody that... that you know, looks like they have it all together, we feel less than. Because we are looking at, at their outward appearance and comparing it to our inner reality. And, and we can all look good on the outside with the right filter, right? We, we live in a, in a social media-driven world um, where, where people can simply post their highlight reel online. And how many of us have fallen into that shocker? I know sometimes when I'm scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or whatever, I'm looking and I'm thinking... Those people's kids never throw a temper, temper tantrum. Every single meal they eat looks like it's prepared by the hands of God. It's beautiful, right? Wow, I didn't realize they lived in such a nice house and drove that car. And oh, look at they're on another vacation to a tropical spot. Like, this is incredible. And you think, man, that's the highlight reel. This is, this is awesome. But he, here's the thing. We've got to be careful with that. We see someone else's life portrayed on social media. We think, wow, that person has a great life. I want to give you an example of this. This is my daughter, B. These are the last five pictures, uh, posts that I put up on, uh, on Instagram. 
It's my daughter, B, and it's, she's hard to see. She's on the left. She got to play with a, an adult orchestra, a real orchestra. She goes to this school, and she plays the violin, and, and then she got to go down to, downtown to the Lyceum Theater and play with Classics for Kids and the Classics for Kids um, Orchestra, and it was such a neat opportunity for her. I was so proud of her. Um, just such a special moment for her as a little, a little musician, right? Then there's this one right here. This is my daughter, B, and I. Um, Every week, my wife and I, we take our kids on a date on a Monday. And so we flip-flop kids every, every other week. And so Monday just happened to be uh, my turn with, with B and we went out, and she loves Tiki Town Golf down in Mission Bay, so we found a group on, and we went down there, and we played, and got a treat, and then played uh, mini golf for an hour, and, and just had a blast doing that. Um, this one here, this is uh, the post that I put for my wife and I's 17th anniversary in January. Um, this is actually not from the anniversary. This is from Israel, um, where we got to go to Israel um, over Christmas time. But I posted this on our anniversary and said how excited I was to have a, a wife of 17 years and how happy she makes me and all these different things that, you know, you're supposed to say on your anniversary, right, publicly. Um, so I did that, and then uh, I meant every one of them, but I did, you know. And then... Um, this is the sunset, or the sunrise, excuse me, from um, our balcony one morning. I woke up early, and it was earlier than I was supposed to. And I went out to get some water, and I was immediately captured by this beautiful sunrise. And, and even this picture doesn't do it justice, right? The colors uh, were incredible uh, as, I, as I looked at that. And I just spent some time thanking God for um, waking me up early that morning. For whatever reason he did, this, maybe this was the reason. And then finally, this was um, the last one here. This was just getting to pray with my son at the west wall of the, the temple. Um, of Jerusalem, and it was uh, the Temple Mount of, in Jerusalem, and it was such an incredible spiritual experience for me and, and for my son, and I know for me personally, just getting to watch my son Oli put his hands on the wall and pray where hundreds of thousands of people have gone before and prayed and offered up prayers to God, and I sat there, and I watched it, and I took it all in, and it was incredibly uh, an incredibly amazing spiritual experience. And so now I look at those pictures and I think, dang, I, I actually, I have a pretty good life. And maybe you're thinking the same thing, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I didn't post the picture from last week. In fact, I didn't even take the picture last week of when my wife and I got into a fight, right? I didn't stop mid-fight and selfie and be all, hey, we're not getting along. We're not seeing eye to eye. We can't communicate. Like, right? I didn't stop and take that picture. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't post the picture of, of yelling at my kids, right, to get off Fortnite and then to actually do their chores and do their homework and make sure that they are getting their, you know, their lunches made for the next day. Um, I didn't post the video of me um, saying a few choice words to the bird scooters that, that went by me and almost ran me off the bike path, right? I didn't post that video online. And, and the reason is I only post the things on social media that I want you to see. And that gives you a totally fake perspective of my life and my family. I think if, if, if on social media, if we really showed what was going on in, in, our, in our lives, man, how much different would we interact with each other? How much different would our lives look if, if social media was a true window into our lives? Gosh, um, you know, social media doesn't show who we are when no one's looking. And we know that when no one else is looking, that's, how, you know, that's where we define our character. So you need to build a legacy on values that display character, not victories that depend on charisma. Charisma is uh, only going to get you so far. Charisma is not a bad thing. It's, it's, it's actually a gift. It's one of those things. It's, it's, it's good to have charisma, but charisma will only get you so far. Um, charisma wins the hearts of people, but character wins the heart 
of God. Unfortunately, we see this all over the world. We see this in politics. We see this in the church. We see this in our workplaces. Charisma oftentimes seems to rule the day, but at the end of the day, if we have to compromise our character, oh man, is it worth it? Mark 8.36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? When we rely too much on our charisma, sometimes our character can be compromised. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So where are our hearts motivated? Where is your heart motivated? That's a question we probably need to be asking ourselves on a daily basis. And we do that by trying to develop our character to reflect his character. But that's tough. How do we do that? How do we develop our characters to reflect God's character? The first thing is we choose to be faithful in whatever season that we're in. This one can be difficult. I know, um, you know, sometimes when things come up in our lives and, and there may be things that we have to endure or something that's, that's difficult, uh, you know, we think, okay, at, at first we can do it. It's, it's no problem. But then as time moves on, you think, okay, well, I can endure this for a few days. And then it's like a week. And then it's like, okay, well, now, now it's going on a month. And I'm still having to do, like, take care of this and endure this and go through this. And, and now we're looking at three months. And now we're looking at six months. And the longer that it takes with whatever situation it is, and it, become, it becomes more and more difficult to be faithful in those seasons. I know for me, I, I, uh, I was out of work for about a year, a little over a year, uh, about eight or nine years ago. And it was an incredibly uh, blessed season, but it was also an incredibly tough season. I know at first I, I had left this position at a church, and, and I knew that, that it was God that was telling, telling me to, to leave this position. I didn't really have anything lined up, but I was trusting that God would, would line something up for, for me and my family. And so it was one of those things where, okay, I resigned and I stepped down and, and you know, I took a couple weeks and kind of polished up my resume. And then I just started shooting it out to all my friends and all the people that I knew and all the different websites. And I, you know, I'm, I'm having coffee with people and I'm having conversations with people and I'm emailing people and I'm excited about it. My resume's out there and I'm thinking, okay, this is, I'm going to land a job here, no problem. And then after a few weeks, and I'm not getting anything back from people, and I'm like, okay, that's okay. We'll, we'll shoot out the resume a few more times to a few more people, and we'll follow up with those conversations and, and those emails. And, and then after about three months, it was like, okay, you know, talking to some of my friends, oh, we just don't have a position for you right now. Ah, well, we're trying to move some things around, but it's going to take a few months. Oh, well, this is, you know, an excuse after excuse. And it's like, okay, this is all right, that's okay, no problem. We'll, we'll, we'll just keep being faithful. We'll keep, you know, I know that God had us do this. And, and then after six months, it's like, all right, God, what's going on here? You know, it's like crickets. I'm not hearing anything. What, what are we doing? And then nine months. And I'm watching as our savings account is dwindling. And I'm thinking we've got a mortgage to pay and we've got these other things, these other responsibilities in life. And I'm going, God, you better show up pretty soon here. And I know for me, it became increasingly difficult to be faithful in the end of that season. I started asking the questions, God, why are you doing this to me? I thought I was acting, I thought I was stepping out in faith. I thought you were leading me to do this. I started kind of questioning the process. And I don't have time for today, but man, there are so many ways that God showed up, especially in those last few months that were just absolutely incredible, ways that I would never, ever, ever imagine. I wouldn't trade that year of not working for anything because it was such a defining um, growth time in my life and and in my wife's life. And see, as Samuel, he's getting ready to appoint the next king of Israel. We kind of get this bird's eye view of of David's life that paints this wonderful picture of what being faithful in different seasons looks like. 
See, David's training, it, it, it leading him up to being king, really can be broken down into four main traits. The first one is this, solitude. David was a shepherd. He was out tending the sheep. He was out in nature with the sheep, right? The second is obscurity. No one really knew who David was. And even, his fa- even in his family, he was the stinky 15-year-old that was out tending the sheep. You're not even invited to the party when, when Samuel the prophet comes, right? Monotony. The same tasks over and over and over and over again. The life of a shepherd was not a glorious one, right? You get up in the morning super early. You go out, you get the sheep, you get them ready. You walk the sheep out, make sure the sheep are fed, make sure the sheep don't run away. Oh, shoot, there's a bear. Fend off the bear. Uh, and then we got to make sure, oh, that sheep ran off. And then you have to go get that sheep. And then it's the same thing over and over and over again, the monotony. And then the reality of being a shepherd. Some of the things I just mentioned, having to fend off lions and bears, attacks on his sheep, lost sheep, the daily routines, the daily realities of, of life as a shepherd. But yet David was faithful in his calling in each one of those seasons, which made him the perfect candidate to serve as a faithful king. And if you remember from reading our story at the beginning, Samuel goes through all of Jesse's sons, and God doesn't choose any of them. And Samuel's probably like, God, what's going on here? What are we doing here? These are all of Jesse's sons, right? So he looks at Jesse and goes, got any more? Like, maybe, I don't know. And Jesse's like, yeah. Here it is. They're still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. You see, David this whole time was simply doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was in charge of tending the sheep, so guess what? He was tending the sheep. And for whatever reason, he wasn't lining up with his brothers to possibly be chosen as the next king of Israel. And the passage doesn't say why. Maybe it's because, you know, someone had to stay with the sheep. Sheep were money back in those times. Sheep were currency, and so you had to make sure that the sheep were okay. Maybe he was too young to do the adult things that everybody else in the house was doing. Uh, maybe he just didn't simply, his dad, Jesse, didn't invite him for whatever reason, you know. Um, and, we, and Scripture doesn't say, but, but here's the thing. David was being prepared. David was being prepared to be the king of Israel. Spectacular achievement isn't always preceded by, or is always preceded, excuse me, by unspectacular preparation. You think about pro athletes, right? Pro athletes aren't just born the fastest or the strongest or on top of their game, right? It takes unspectacular preparation to get themselves into the shape that they need to be to be a professional athlete. Athlete, Hours and hours of sweating at the gym and working out and eating right and doing all the things to be the best that they can be. I know for me, I've mentioned before, if you've, heard, if you've been here and if you haven't, I, I actually thought I was going to pursue golf for a little while in my life. When I was late high school, early college, I thought that I was going to pursue golf. And it was one of those things that, that for whatever reason, I, I'd spent a lot of time at the golf course. I was able to do that. And, and, I, and I got very good at golf. And so I thought to myself, you know, for a while, this is something that I'm going to do. But here's the thing. When I was at the top of my golf game, there was a ton, a ton of unspectacular preparation. I showed up in the morning earlier than anybody else. And I would typically leave the golf course later than anybody else. And it was, it was countless chips and putts and chips and putts and chips and putts and then heading to the driving range and be- shooting the ball this way and bending the ball this way and high shots, low shots, practicing, back to the putting green. It was this back and forth. Even when I was in high school, I would get up early before high school and I'd made sure that my schedule worked out in such a way that I didn't have a first period so I could spend more time at the golf course. And then I'd come to school kind of as a necessary evil. And then I would leave and because I, I wanted to get back to the golf course, right? And then I would leave and have my, my last periods be like these flex periods where I could go then and, and get back to the golf course. But it was all that, that, that unspectacular preparation that led me to the course. And when I got on the course, when I got into a match, when I got into a tournament, that's where things got good. Because I could beat almost anyone. 
I could hit it farther. I could hit it straighter. I could hit it smoother. I could drop a putt from just about anywhere on a green. And if I was chipping off the green, if I didn't make it in, I was really, really close. All that unspectacular preparation paid off when I got onto the course. And I'm sure that you've had times in your life like that too. If you're a student, you've studied, you know, you know those tests or those papers that you have to write. You're studying hard for countless hours. You're foregoing sleep and going out with your friends and doing all those things. And then you wake up in the morning of the test and you're ready to take the test and you're confident. And then you go and you knock it out of the park and you get the A. All that unspectacular preparation paid off for the spectacular achievement. Or at work, you're working your tail off and you're staying late and you're helping others and you're going above and beyond and you're doing all these things to, to, to help your company grow. And all that unspectacular preparation becomes a spectacular achievement when you get that promotion. Right? Getting there in our lives, getting to the places that we want to, you know, the things that we want to achieve in our lives, a lot of times it, it isn't sexy. It isn't fun. It's unspectacular. And that was totally the case with David, which, again, made him a perfect candidate for king. See, he would have a heart after God's own heart that would come with the understanding of what it meant to be humble. He was a shepherd. He was kind of the lowest of, on the totem pole. He understood what it meant to be humble. You see, it's important to be patiently waiting on God's timing. And I want to make sure to point out here that, that there is usually a significant waiting time between God revealing what he has in mind and how he intends to accomplish it. David would have to wait until he was 30 years old to assume part, just part, not the entirety, part of the kingship. And actually until he was 37 years old to assume the whole thing. 22 years after God and Samuel anointed him. And while not specifically in the text that we read today, but if you fast forward a few verses, um, the next thing that happens in David's life isn't that he becomes king. It actually, he enters Saul's service and becomes one of his armor bearers. And because he's a musician and he's got a voice, he, he goes and he, and he actually, Saul has these things that trouble him. And so he goes and he plays his harp and sings for Saul. And that, this has got to be confusing for David, right? He's just been anointed as king as a 15-year-old, but yet he has to wait just because God doesn't reveal his plan doesn't mean that you're, or sorry, just because God reveals his plan doesn't mean that you're ready to fulfill it. David was anointed, but he was not ready to be appointed. And there's a big difference there. See, David came, into Saul's, or came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. It took time, but God was continuing to shape and mold David into the man that he wanted David to be. And David's final role in God's purpose wasn't an armor bearer or a shepherd or a son. All those things were experiences that led to him being the king, the king of the nation of Israel. His life didn't reflect what he was doing. It was preparing him for who he was going to become. And so that's a question I want to ask. Is, is my life reflecting what I am doing right now or who I'm wanting to become? See, in our lives, we don't get to choose our skills or our talents, but we do get to choose who we're becoming. We have those choices. So how do we do that? How do we focus more on who we're supposed to become? I think it's important to examine our lives and, and ask this question, how am I growing and developing my character? When it comes to what does God really care about? God cares about what's going on right here in your heart. God cares about your character. God cares about your life when no one's looking at it. God cares about what's stirring in here. And is your heart in tune with God's heart? Do you see the world the way God sees 
this world? Are you broken for the things that break God's heart? Do you actually have an action plan that has measurable goals and articulates what it is that you're working on and how it is that you're growing? I know for me, there's been times in my life where I've had to just sit down and I'll, sometimes I'll sit there with my phone and I'll just take notes or I'll jot down some stuff and, and I'll try to just articulate some measurable goals. Okay, God, this is where I feel like you're moving me in this season. How do I get there? And you kind of create this action plan. And if you don't, that's, that's just something that, that you can work on. That's something that you can work on. And it'll look different in different stages of life. And here's the thing, you don't have to figure it out alone. Again, I mentioned before, I go to my accountability partners a lot. I'll go to Pastor Steve a lot or some other pastor friends that I have when it comes to advice or my parents or, or my wife. If you're in a life group, I'll, you know, there, there are times, I know I've been in life groups before where somebody's going through something and they just need some advice. They just need some counsel. And so they'll totally derail the entire meeting that night. And that's okay because we're helping steer them toward you know, whatever it is that God has for them in that season and in that moment in their lives. You don't have to figure it out alone. Again, life groups, trusted, godly friends, a mentor, a pastor. See, it's in the process of obedience that character is formed. Faithfulness in the small produces power in the big. And we do that by aligning our characters and our hearts to God's heart and focusing on the things that matter to him. What does God really care about? God cares about your heart and if it's growing towards his. You pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you just for allowing us to be here in this place today. God, thanks for stories like the story and the, and the, the, com- the comparison between Saul and David, Lord. And gosh, we see someone who did things for themselves and then we see someone who actually wanted to follow after you. God, may we be a people that, that wants to follow after you with everything that we have. God, may we be a people that, that, that looks at this world and, and looks at the needs of this world and we think, okay, God, where would you step into the gaps? God, make our hearts in tune with yours. Allow us to see direction clearly. Allow us to see and have discernment, God, when it comes to making decisions and choices in our lives. Um, not because it's, it's, it's of our own minds or our own hearts, God. It's because we are filtering everything through your heart and through your eyes. God, thank you for being a God that loves us so much, that cares about us so much, that desires for us to just um, be the best that we can be, to glorify you and your kingdom. God, may we be a people that does that. These things we ask and pray in your son's name. Amen.